this is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. I have been doing a series on who is this God, uh, and uh, this will be the last part, part seven um, of our series. You can't go on forever, no. Uh, it has to, you have to stop at some point in time. Uh, and so, but we'll treat other topics about God throughout the year, but I'm doing part seven of our series, Who is This God? And today I'm introducing this God to us as the righteous judge, the righteous judge. This good God who we serve, uh, many times we gladly want to associate with the goodness of God and with the power of God and with the protection of God and with the redemption of God and with the miracle-working power of God. But we also forget that this God is also a judge and that there is a day coming when he's going to judge all of us. And today I want to draw your attention to this awesome God who is also judge of all his creation. We are going to look at two passages of scriptures as we start our thoughts this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. And then we'll look at Psalm 96, verse 10. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. In Deuteronomy 10, you see that God is being described in the passage as a judge over everything that he creates. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. I think that word sounds very nice and familiar to Ghanaians. Nor takes a bribe. Verse 18. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. This awesome God is a God of justice. And the Bible says he shows no partiality and he takes no bribe. Takes no bribe. Psalm 96 verse 10. Psalm 96 verse 10. It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It, is, it shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. God is a righteous judge. And he judges his people. He judges his creation. Most of you are familiar with human judges in our law courts. And it's my conviction that judges are the most powerful people in any jurisdiction. They are, most, they are more powerful than presidents. They are more powerful than parliamentarians. They are more powerful than even preachers. Because they can change your address one day. And move from the nicest place to a government residence somewhere that you may not like, which you call jail. They can determine who dies, and they can determine who lives. They can determine who is wrong. They can determine who is right. They are powerful. And as powerful as judges are here on earth, there is one judge who is more powerful than all of them, the great judge. His name is Jehovah himself. And we must know him as the righteous judge. What does it mean to judge as we try and understand this God as the righteous judge? What does it mean to judge? I'll give you three definitions. Number one, 
To judge means to decide between right and wrong based on set principles. To decide between right and wrong based on set principles. That is a function of a human judge. And it is also the function of God who is our judge. It, it, it is he who decides. To judge is to decide between what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. What is right, what is wrong based on set principles. In other words, God is not capricious, my friends. He doesn't just act according by his own whims and just by his feelings. No, 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 no. He first established the rules. And then he judges based on the rules he has established. And so although God is God, he's God. But he, he has also limited himself by the laws he has created. And so he says he creates laws for us. And so that we can know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Remember, when he created the first couple, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them a law to eat and not to eat. And that the day you eat, you will surely die. And when they decided to eat, what God told them not to eat, they decided to eat it. God didn't act arbitrary. He says, this is the law. You make this decision, these are the consequences of your actions. So God is not arbitrary, no. Although he's sovereign, my friends, he's, also, he's powerful, he also is governed by laws, laws, laws. They decide what is right and what is wrong. Number two, to judge also means to govern and exercise authority. To govern and exercise authority. It means to rule a place. In the Old Testament, the judges were not just judicial people. No. They were heads of nations. And sometimes they were, they were even army generals, like Samson, who was a judge. Who was a judge. And he didn't just have power to determine what is right and wrong. He also had power to govern as well. And then number three, to judge also means to pronounce a verdict. It means to pronounce a verdict. To pronounce a verdict. Judges love this aspect of their job. To pronounce. Guilty or not guilty. Go to jail or don't go to jail. And God also pronounces a verdict. As a matter of this, of this one of these days, God is going to pronounce a verdict. When we stand before him, he will pronounce a verdict. And we will find, and we will find that at that place, you cannot bribe him. Because when his verdict comes, your bribe cannot change his decision. Many times we live our lives as if we are the masters of our own lives. Isn't it amazing that we don't even choose how we come to the world? That we don't even choose when we come into the world. And somehow we think that we are the masters of our own life. And, and, and that's a very interesting thought. And, and, and we, we, we live our lives as if all that, that there is, is all that we can see. But we must understand that one day we will stand before God who is our judge. And God judges by his judgments and his judgments are not arbitrary. They are based on his laws. And so as we think about God who is the righteous judge, there are a few things that I want to draw your attention as we think about the law of God and God being a judge, number one, God's laws are flawless. God's laws are flawless. Parliament does not have to revise the law. Parliament does not have to amend the law. 
His laws are flawless. They don't have mistakes in them. God doesn't make wrong laws. His laws are flawless. And Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11, sets it out clearly. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. This scripture tells us about the qualities and the rewards of the law of the Lord. His laws warn us. And if we keep them, there is reward for it. Just like civil laws in society. When, when the law of a society says, don't do this, don't do that, and you decide not to do it, you are kept, you are safe. The reward is safety. But if you equally decide to disobey them, the reward is that you are fined or, you know, you go to a special accommodation for you. Same thing about God's laws. And, and the psalmist teaches us in Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11, several things. It teaches us, number one, that God's judgments are based on his laws. When God decides to judge anything, it is based on his laws. And one day, he's going to judge all of us, and it will be based on his laws. What he has said, what did you do with what he said? How did you respond to his laws? How did you respond to God's word? That will be the basis upon which God will judge each one of us. Number two, God's laws are right for his creation. He created us, and when he tells us not to do something, it is not to deny you and I pleasure. It is to guide us away from self-destruction, my friends. If God says, thou shalt not see you, he is not saying that we shouldn't acquire property. He's saying that when we acquire property, we must acquire property the legitimate way. When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, he is not denying us sexual pleasure. He is saying that there is a legal way of having sex. And there's an illegal way, and that illegal way is called adultery. And I know none of you is committing it. He didn't say amen. Hey, my heart. All right. He says, thou shalt not bear false witness. That does not mean you shouldn't criticize people. It just means that when you are criticizing people, make sure that your criticism is based on fact. It is factual and it is true. He says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's property. That doesn't mean that you should not be ambitious to acquire property. It means that when you are ambitious, don't acquire property at the expense of disposing somebody from what rightfully belongs to them. God's laws are right for his creation, my friends. And it's important that when we consider God's laws, that we don't see them as punishments, but we see them as a way of guiding us into a right life. That God is not trying, us to, de trying to deny us from enjoying the benefits that he has provided for us, but it's a way of guiding us on the right path. And I know that all of you want to enjoy the good life. I want to enjoy the good life. And we must enjoy the good life, but we must enjoy the good life the good way.
the good way. Number three, God's laws are good and transformational. They convert the simple like we read. They make the, they make the wise simple. The Bible says that they are pure, they are good, they are clean. His laws lead us to a clean life, my friends. I have noticed that as you commit yourself to God and you decide to live and lead a clean life, it is more fulfilling and more rewarding. There is nothing more beautiful than a life that is submitted to God. It is just clean, my friends. There are no excesses. There are no hidden wayward behaviors. There, are no, there is no hypocrisy. There, we are not playing. This is not a game. Nobody is playing a game anywhere. It's just simple instructions from God that we are obeying. There is nothing to hide. There is nothing to cover. There is not, it's just simple instructions. When you decide to live a clean life, and just say you are going to obey God. You just realize you owe nobody anything. Your heart is pure. There is no hidden secret anywhere. You are just serving the Lord in, in purity of heart. Honoring him. Making his name known. It is just a beautiful life to live. Why would you want to have hidden skeletons? Why would you want to have it? Why would you want to have a side chick? Why? It's just pure. And number two, you keep your money <laughs> and spend it on your wife. Hallelujah. Why would you just, why would you want to steal what doesn't belong to you? Why? Why would you want to work and let God bless your honest labor? Yeah. And you know that everything you had, you didn't take it from anybody. It is purely the blessing of the Lord. You worked hard and God bless you. You owe nobody anything. It's just a good life to live. Just to say, God, I want to just follow your instructions. It's just a beautiful life. Beautiful life. That is God's laws. They are, they are good and they are transformational. When God says, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't steal. Is that difficult? Don't commit adultery. Is that difficult? Don't look at a woman with lust. Is that difficult? The men are quiet. <laughs> don't look. What are you doing? You're clean. Don't. As you obey God's word, your life, your thoughts, your actions, your relationships, you, 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 when you are relating with people, there are no hidden ideas. No. There are no plans behind the scene to try to destroy somebody. No. It's just a pure heart, just trying to relate to people, trying to love God, trying to help others. It is pure. It is clean. No hidden agendas, my friends. It is simple. And when you seek to obey God's law, you live a clean life, my friends. And number four, when we say God's laws are, are flawless, number four, God's laws are a guide for a fulfilled life. The scripture says that in keeping them, there is great reward. Keeping the law of God is rewarding, my friends. It is not punishing. Don't you want to live your life without any debt? Yes. I mean, we all want to do, all of us want to live our life without no debt. So that one day, one day, when you decide one day to aspire for something one day, nobody's pulling out any skeleton. Nobody's pulling out any recordings. Nobody's pulling out any videos. One day when you try to live your life, do aspire for something. 
Maybe you want to become a parliamentarian, a president, uh, some corporate leader. Nobody has anything to pull out from you. There are, there are no hidden statues anywhere. You are just clean. That's the way to go. Where there, there are no skeletons in your cupboard. Isn't that a good life? It's a good life. It's such a clean, simple life. And if you allow God to be your judge, to lead you, to guide you, he will, he will bring you to a place of a fulfillment, a fulfilled life where you are happy. And if we obey the laws of God, even our thoughts will be pure. Because we kill our thoughts of sin before they kill us. We deal with them before they deal with us. They may be hard for our flesh. The laws may be tough for our flesh. But they, will, they are beneficial for your soul. It will save you. It will preserve you. It will keep you. They are fulfilling God's laws are flawless. Number two, not only are God's laws flawless. Number two, God is fair to everybody. God is fair to everybody. When we read Deuteronomy, the Bible says that God takes no bribes. He is not partial. He takes no bribes. Look at what Peter says. Peter made an observation in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Verse 34 and 35. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Peter makes an observation. You know, when Jesus came, his ministry was primarily to the Jews. So they, 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 they were the ones he was primarily ministering to. So the early believers were all Jews. They were all Jews. And so now the ministry is now moving beyond the Jewish people to Gentiles, to those who are not Jews. And, 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 and so, and so something, something happens. Peter has an experience with Cornelius in Cornelius' house, where Cornelius, who is not a Jew, receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter is surprised. That, wow, because up until that point, it looked as if it was only the Jews who had this special, you know, encounter with God. But Cornelius has that experience, and he's not a Jew. And so Peter, having seen all that, makes a conclusion in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God shows no partiality, but in every nation. And so we see from, from this scripture that, number one, that God is not partial. He shows no partiality. You cannot say that God has blessed somebody more than you. You cannot say God has favored somebody more than you. You cannot look at somebody's gift. And look at yourself and diminish what God has given to you. Because God shows no partiality, my friends. He is fair to everybody. Everybody has something that is unique to them. I have things you don't have. And you have things I don't have. Look at how those David and, and uh, they, were, they, were, they were boogieing here. If I try that. I will just, I, I just have to know what I have and what I don't have. I can say, God, why? Why can't I also dance? Why can't I also sing beautifully like, 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 like the worship team? Why can't I do it? God shows no partiality. I have things you don't have. You have things I don't have. It's called life. Each one of us is unique because God does not show partiality. God is a fair God. 
Number two, God does not yield to deceptive human behavior. When the Bible says that God does not take bribe, it is not only limited to taking money, but it simply means you cannot bribe God. That obedience is better than sacrifice, and you cannot bribe God. You cannot bribe God with an offering. No, you cannot. You cannot say, God, you know, you are are living your life anyhow, messing up, not honoring God's word, not honoring God's name. And I say, I'm bringing a big offering. I'm coming to, 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 to thank God. You cannot bribe God with your offering. doesn't work that way. You can't live anyhow and, and say, I'm, I'm going to just give God money and God will be happy. No, no, no. No, God is not partial, my friends. You cannot bribe God with, with something you do in church. You can't bribe him with something you do in church. No. You can't say, God, you know this, I, I, I know this thing is not right, but look at how I serve you. Look at how I say, look at how I come to church every Sunday. So although it is not right, still give it to me. No. You can't bribe God. You can't. You can't see somebody's husband, somebody's wife, and pray for pray that make them your prayer topic. That God will give them to you. No. Why? Because you 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 you, you have been a committed member of the church. No, you can't bribe God. Doesn't work that way. No, he shows no partiality. You can't be chasing somebody's wife, living in sexual immorality, being, become, be, being very sneaky and sabotaging, maligning people, and expect that you will give a fantastic offering and God will be pleased with your ways. No. No, he doesn't take bribe. Thankfully, he's not a Ghanaian worker um, in a specific area I can mention uh, so that I don't get into trouble uh, today. But it's not, it doesn't take any bribe. No. You cannot bribe him with your praise and worship. Oh God, I love you. And oh God, I love you. And then you are loving somebody else's husband. No. You cannot deceive God with that. It doesn't work that way. No. We have to understand it. I cannot bribe God. With Greek and Hebrew, say, God, look at the way I said Yahweh, the Lord of Sabbath. It means in Greek. It means in this in Hebrew. Look at, the, look at how I preach. Look at how I prepare. Look at what I do. And then, I, and, and then look, at, look at this and look at that. And, and then I say, God, but, 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 but the money of, of the church is my money. You can't do that. But, oh, my, my, my children's school fees is coming. Oh, let me, give me the offering. Let me take and go pay their school fees. No. You can't do that. So. I can't do that. If my salary is not enough, then I have to go look for other sources of income. It's as simple as that. You can't bribe God. You can't bribe God. That's, that's just as clear as it is. Nobody can bribe him. Why can't we bribe him? Because he sees our intentions. And he knows us more than anybody else will even know, that, know us. We cannot bribe God. Number three, God responds to us on the basis of our faith. God responds to us on the basis of our faith. If God is going to bless somebody, it is on the basis of your faith and not your geography. Not on the color of your skin. That's what the Bible says. That, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteously, the color of your skin is not the basis of the blessing of God. Whether you are black, white, blue, yellow, God can bless you. And some of you think that God can bless the white man more than he can bless you. It's a wrong mindset. It does not matter the color of your skin. God can bless you. 
Where in every nation, some of you think you need to travel for God to bless you. But even here or wherever it is, this is the same God. Whether it is in the UK, it's in America, it's in Ghana, it's the same God. And if if it is the same God, he can bless you irrespective of your geographical location. You have to understand it. You have to understand it. And when we come to him, it is the same God and he can bless you. You must know that about yourself. The God in America is the same God in Ghana. He is not limited by where you live. It is only your faith that activates him. It's the same God. And number four, God's blessings extend beyond race, gender, and location. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. What God can do with a man, he can do with a woman. You cannot say, God, I'm black. What does that mean? I'm black. That's why I'm poor. That's why I'm suffering. That's why life is hard. You cannot say that. Because the Bible says that every nation, whoever fears God and works righteously is accepted by him. He is not moved by the color of your skin or your location. God is not moved by that. And that is why you don't use your country as an excuse not to make it. If you come to him by faith in whichever country you find yourself in, he will do things for you that will shock you, my friends. He will do things that will defy the natural principles of your country. In every place, God can do the impossible for you. That is the God that we serve. Number three. Number three. Not only is God fair to everybody. Number three, God's judgments are far-reaching. God's judgments are far-reaching. They have major consequences, my friends. Listen to what he said to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. He tells us about the far-reaching effects of his judgment. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the fourth to the third and fourth generation. What does that tell us about God's judgment? Number one, that God gives us opportunities to turn from our wrong ways. Before talking about God visiting iniquities, the previous verse says that the Lord is merciful. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is abounding in goodness and in truth. He is forgiving. God does all of these, my friends. But in spite of all that he does, if you keep your sin, then you will get punished. God doesn't want to punish you because you have sinned. No, 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 no. Because, no, he doesn't want to do that. But if you keep your sin, if you hold on to your sin, if you stay in your sin, God is going to punish you. He is abounding in mercy. He is gracious. He is good. But if you keep your sin, he will punish you. You punish you. Number two, God, God punishes us for our sin and waywardness. He punishes us for our sin and waywardness. The scripture says that he doesn't clear the guilty. When you are guilty before God, he will not clear you. 
He punishes us for our sin and our waywardness. He punishes us for our sin and our waywardness. God has the power to pronounce blessings. He has the power to pronounce curses. The God of blessings also pronounces curses. And number four, God's judgment have transgenerational impact. It goes to the fourth, the third and fourth generations. The things that you are doing now can affect your children and your children's children. Even if you are dead, its impact can affect them. And the things that you are doing now, you are attracting all kinds of judgment on yourself and your children. Because unfortunately, children stay under the authority of their parents. I mean, if your father lived in London, all things being equal, you most likely live in London. If your father lived in Paris, all things being equal, you most likely live in Paris. And if your father also lived in Kumasi, all things being equal, you live in Kumasi. Say you don't want Kumasi. What do you want? You live there. I mean, if your father, for example, or if my father, for example, was an alcoholic, I will suffer the consequences of it. So if my father sins against God and God punishes him, that remnant will remain and it will impact my life. Now, it doesn't mean that I may not be free from it. No, but it will impact me until I learn to go to God and get freedom from him. It will impact me until I go to God. Consequence is going to impact me until I get born again. If I don't get born again and I don't know God, it will impact me. It will impact me. Because they have far-reaching consequences. Many of you can bear the punishment for your sins. But can you bear the punishment for your, that comes on your children and your children's children? We can't bear it. So we must understand, my friends, that God's judgment also has far-reaching consequences. And many of us are taking decisions today that are affecting not only ourselves, but our children and our children's children. For example, if a father goes, is in an office, and he goes to steal in the office, and he's caught, and he's sent to jail, just because your children bear your name, they, may not, they will not even hire your children. Because they, the, they, they hear the son and say, eh, this name? Is your father this person? You say yes. And that was it. That's it. That's it. That's it. They have far-reaching consequences. And you must take time to think about the consequences of your actions. It's not just about you. It's not just about today. They are far-reaching. Can you imagine a man married to his wife? And you go to sleep with another woman. Have children with her. Look at the effect on your children. Look at the damage you bring. Look at the pain you cost your home. Look at, look at, it has far-reaching consequences. And many of us have, have, have even been victims of that. Far-reaching consequences. Because you cannot contain your pleasure. You've destroyed your home. Destroyed your children. Destroyed your family. Now there are all kinds of stepchildren everywhere. That you can't even keep a, you can't even keep a number. Dangerous. Don't just think about yourself alone. Think about the implications of your actions for generations after you. Think about it. 
You may be having fun today, and it may look like fun. But I pray that time will not catch up on you. Because when it does, it won't be funny at that time. Now it will be funny. But it will not be funny at that time. Don't jeopardize what you go through. Don't jeopardize your life because of its far-reaching consequences. And number four, the fourth character of God's judgment is that God's judgments are final. God's judgments are final. There is a judgment coming, my friends. It is not going to be at the high court or the appeals court. It's not going to be at the Supreme Court. There's a judgment coming and you will stand before God. And when you stand before him, all your logic and all your reasons will evaporate. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9. It says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. God is literally saying that you have the choice. And you can live your life the way you want to please. You have a will. You can do it. You are a free moral agent in a democratic society. You can do it. If you want to sleep with everybody, go ahead. Sleep with everybody. But remember that God is a judge. And one day he's going to judge you. The fact that you have freedom of expression doesn't mean you are going to do anything anyhow. Because one day you are going to be judged. You are going to be judged. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. It says that then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was, no f- there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. I hope you don't think that after you die, you are free. Death is a transition to another life. Some will be rewarded. Some will be punished. Maybe you did something and the courts of Ghana free you. You bribe the, persecute, the, the prosecutor, you bribe the judge, you were smart and sneaking your response. But there is a court that will not free you. It's called the court of God. Maybe you skimmed against people, took what doesn't belong to you, maligned people, sabotaged people, and your sneakiness saved you. But there is a judge that we will stand before. Who knows us beyond just our actions, he knows our intentions. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.